0: ever had a family portrait made? Really? Come on. More? Not? Not that? Really? I mean, we've had that. I mean, our family had them. And what's funny is, I was going to bring a couple of our old ones, but that you know, I thought, ah, my kids would be so mad at me if we did that. Have you ever seen those pictures where you look back and you think, what were they thinking? You ever seen that? I I put a few on here. Can you imagine? (laughs) I don't even get it. I mean, I get it, but I'm not sure I get it. I'm not even sure the relationship there, actually. (laughs) Let me show you a couple others. Yeah, that's what I thought. Really? (laughs) Are you serious? So, okay. I don't even know comment necessary, but this one is even worse. (laughs) I got to thinking, is that really a family or like a music? I don't even know what that is, honestly. Uh, But that is definitely a family portrait. It has to be 80s, I'm guessing. I'm not sure if that's the replacement for dad in the middle or what exactly, but notice the cat. I mean, it's all there. Okay. yeah can anybody I mean, really, I, I, what I wondered when I first saw this, I thought, okay, is that's got to be a little boy, right, in the family or girl? I mean, boy, girl, I don't know, but did, did they just like fight with them so much that they said, "Okay fine, wear the mask?" And then what happens when the kid looks around and like, "Ooh, I don't know, but this one is the best ever." So not i and see, maybe I overthink this, I don't know. But I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, are the two floating heads, are those like maybe dogs who've already passed and then they're still in the picture? Because I was looking at those and like, <laughs> it looks like the one on the upper left is the same as, I don't know, whatever, I don't know. All I'm saying is. I hope none of your family portraits look like that. But if they do, send me a picture and I'll share it with everybody, okay? I would at least enjoy it. I mean, I, I look at those. And I, love, I love people watching anyway. One of my favorite things to do is go, like, to the airport and see the families together and, like, oh, look at those, those genetics. You know, you can see, wow, she looks just like her mom or, or the sisters that look so much alike. I mean, those things I think are hilarious. You know what's funny, though, about families? Maybe not funny is not the right word. Interesting, maybe sad. One thing that every single family has in common is conflict. You ever notice that? Now, I've been around people and and couples maybe that say, we've never fought ever one time. And I'm looking, I'm like, really? Because, okay. I mean, uh, good for you. Good for you. But the fact is, most families have conflict from time to time. Because that's normal life. And the fact is, normally, at some point, you're going to butt heads and something's going to happen. I mean, you're going to have a little bit of conflict. I remember my grandma, my mom's mom, she would always say, yeah, we fuss and fight just a little bit. Anybody else use that word fuss? I never heard that other than her, but I mean, some people say that. I don't know. And the thing about it is in family, when, when fighting happens in family, I mean, if, you, if you fight and disagree and argue maybe in the boardroom or at work, I mean, usually there's a decision and it can be very productive. And, and, and maybe if you're you know, a little league and there's an argument, it might be productive, but it seems like in the family, a lot of times, it just leaves more damage than it does good. It just seems like the conflict, it's not a win-win. It's usually a lose-lose situation. You notice how there's different people in the conflict? People play different roles. It's interesting, too. You could take a whole family, and it's almost like, like each person takes on their position. Some people are the peacemakers. No matter what, they want, they want the peace. And they can't stand the, the awkwardness and the chaos. We just need to get along. We need to work this out. Now, the downside to that is sometimes you don't work anything out. You just kind of roll over it because you want peace so bad. Sometimes you have the sulker, you know, the one that you never, they're never really done. They're never really, it's not, they're not over it. They just kind of pout still. You probably know somebody like that. Or maybe the stuffer, the person who, who might blow up and you know that they're not okay, but they're not going to tell you. You're like, are you okay? Is everything okay? Yeah, it's fine. How, how many times does, yeah, it's fine I mean it's really fine? No, that means it's not fine, but they're not going to tell you because they keep putting it down. You might have to ask them 10, 20, 30 times, but still not really solved. Then sometimes you have the litigator. Anybody here a litigator? (laughs) Nobody raised their hand. Anybody sitting next to a litigator? You know how that goes? It's the person who really is good at arguing, and they're going to win no matter what. And deep down, they know they're always right. And at some of people, just a lot of times in the family, you just give up because you're like, why bother? They think they're always right, and they're going to argue until you just give in anyway. So it's just... No, no point in, in, in even working through it. Maybe you've married somebody who's a screamer, and their family just did this. The volume was so high. And What's funny, I don't know, I was reading a little bit about this this last week, and it was saying that typically if you grew up in a screamer house, then you usually don't marry another screamer. Something in your psyche leads you to marry someone different than that. But then you don't know how to solve conflict because that's your way. That's what you grew up learning. And so you try that, and then the person you marry, maybe they're a stuffer, and then you're like, we never can figure anything out because I, I try to talk about it, and all they do is just, they just get quiet. It's weird how that works. What you're going to be tempted to do again today is, is maybe elbow somebody next to you or maybe think, oh, I wish so-and-so was here. Please, as much as possible, maybe just put that on hold for a minute and let God just speak to you. I know as I was preparing this sermon for the last week and a half or so, two weeks, was, it's was funny because I kept thinking, man, I'm not sure I can preach this. I need to learn this. That's just how it goes. But let me just reassure you, all families have conflict. You, yours may be a little worse or you may think it's worse or you may think it's better, but the fact is we're at least in the boat together in the fact that we do have conflict and it's something we all have to deal with. But guess what? You're in luck. It's your lucky day. I've got an answer for you today. You ready for an answer? Wouldn't it be nice if there was just one answer? You know what would be even better? It would be even better if it was kind of that pill thing. You could just take a pill and it'd be done. Wouldn't it? You didn't have to do any work on your own. You didn't have to come to terms with anything. You have to have to admit anything. No, no transparency. You could just be done. That'd be great. But I think we do have an, a, an idea today that will solve a lot of these things. It won't solve everything. As I told you in the beginning of the series, we're going to just... Kind of scratch some itches and maybe make some things itch, but hopefully it makes you do some work and get get to the heart of it. We're going to look again in the book of James. Remember who who was James again? Jesus' brother. And uh, you, you know what? No matter how you think the family worked out, gen- generally most theologians see him as obviously a younger brother. Jesus was probably the firstborn. There. There are some people who think that that maybe Joseph had other kids before he met Mary. But anyway, there's a lot of reasons not to think that. The fact is, he grew up in the house with Jesus. What would that have been like? Can you imagine? I don't know if you've ever heard this before, why can't you be more like your brother? But that would be a really tough act to follow. Can you imagine, though, if you were growing up with Jesus and and, uh, talk about what would Jesus do? Like, dang, I'm so tired of hearing that. What would Jesus do? That would be tough. But let's look at James for a minute. He starts off in James chapter 4 and he says, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? What is causing these things? Turn to your neighbor and ask him what. No, don't do that. You know why? Don't do it. You know why? Don't do it. Because if you turn to them and say what's causing the quarrels and fights, what are they going to do? They're going to say you. It's you. Right? Because that's all of our temptation is to say it's not me, it's you or it's her or it's him. For, me, for some of you, maybe, you know, it's, it, you think about it, it's the kids, and you think, oh, they leave clothes lying around all the time, and they don't clean up after themselves, and they're not listening, and they're being selfish, and, and uh, you know, they're not being nice to their siblings. Of course, some of you are probably thinking, well, that's my husband, too. But if it, is, if it is, maybe your wife, maybe you're saying something, or a husband or wife, it's like, she doesn't, or he won't, or she never, or he always, or she used to, or he should. Or maybe if it's your parents, you're saying... They never, or they're too strict, or other parents let, and too many rules, and they never listen to my side. You could narrow it all down, and you could just say, if everybody would just do what I wanted, yeah, that's what I'm saying, doesn't that, doesn't that solve everything? If you could just be king of the world, and you could solve everything, and it would just be you and what you want, I and you, that, that not only extends to your family, but to the world, and we'd have peace in this house. You know what we do? We blame. The problem is we blame. We always blame other people. And if we don't blame other people, we blame other circumstances, or we blame our parents, or we blame how we were raised, or we blame you know, our job, or we blame the thermostat, or whatever it is, we just blame, 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 blame. And the thing is, as long as you blame others for your unhappiness, you'll always be unhappy. The fact is, if you always blame, and you blame a lot of different ways. Sometimes we just blame in our mind, but sometimes we blame personally and tell people, and then sometimes we blame by telling other people. You've all probably done that a time or two. Maybe someone at work or a girlfriend or maybe your mom or somebody and you're just telling them, man, and sometimes you can do it in a way that, that kind of compliments you and makes them sound bad. And you've always got a reason why it's them and not you. But when you do that, here's a good principle for you to think about. When you blame, you give the key to your happiness to that person. All of a sudden, it's not you anymore, it's them. And they literally control whether or not you're going to be happy and satisfied. It's weird, too, because it's like, if only they would start this or stop that or do this or listen. I can't be happy unless they change. Who's in charge? You gave it to them. I would say it like this. Unless you actually listen to James, you won't be happy. Now, I'm putting a lot on this. I'm making it sound like this is the answer to everything. And I know it's not the answer to everything, but it's a good start. It's a really, really, really good start comes right down to this. Blaming never really accomplishes anything. And I know some of you are very specific and perfectionists. And I know, because I kind of like this too. Because in your mind right now, you're already having this argument dialogue with me. And you're already saying, "But, but there are times when it is her fault. I know that. And there are times when it is his fault. Yes, you're right. And the kids. I know. But just stay with me for a minute here. You're probably already doing it. I know. I know how it goes. But James does have the answer. So let's take a look. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war in my husband? (laughs) In my kids? You don't know my kids. If you knew my kids, right? It's you. You want to say it's them, but it's you. It's so uncomfortable sometimes when you read the Bible and you're like, oh, man, why did I have to say it that way? Why would it have to be like that? Why does it so... Here's the thing. We all have a common enemy, a common source for all these issues. It's you. It's you. And you have these desires that are inside that you want to see accomplished. And the problem, you all want to say it's them, but it's you. <laughs> if you could just take a minute and actually take responsibility for the part that's you, I promise it would change everything. <laughs> he goes on. He says... You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. Oh, no, kill, seriously? Who, who's he writing to here? Le- Leavenworth? I mean, kill? Well, yeah, he's using hyperbole. Of course it's kill. How many times have you killed a relationship? Or how many relationships are, uh, are you given a death sentence to just because of the way you treat it? The fact is he was writing to us, the church people. That's who he wrote this to. But some of us have, have this, maybe you grew up in a home like this, God forbid if it was your home, but homes can be a, a dangerous place sometimes with the shame and the violence and the, the way that w- we use words to crush and you want something from people and it's not getting fulfilled. And we can, we can make, it, make ourselves so good in doing it, we can say something like, but I just want the best for him. I know if he would just change, he would be such a much of a better person. Why do we hurt the people close to us? Why do you think that is? The answer's right in there. It's because they're close to us. They're close to us. You keep telling yourself, no, Pastor Dennis, it's not me, it's them. And James says, no, it's you. And you're saying, no, it's them. And James says, no, it's you. Can you imagine what it would be like if you actually owned part of that whole problem and actually admitted that some of it's me? I mean, you. I mean, me. It's hard to say, isn't it? Could you, let's whisper it to ourselves. Some of the problem is me. Some of you whisper really loud. Just saying. He goes on. Are you jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them? Man. What What if right in the beginning of conflict, before you even argued or before you even complained about something or whatever, what if you stopped and said, I'm not getting what I want? That would be weird, wouldn't it? What if, what if before you even started arguing, like the argument started, and you go, oh, hey, "Hey, wait, 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 just a minute," just so we're all on the same page here. I'm not getting what I want. <laughs> wouldn't it be weird? It'd be like, it'd be like, well, at first you're pointing it at them the whole time, but then you have to admit some of it's me. It'd be so weird. Can we, you want to practice it for a minute? Wouldn't that be fun? Hey, let's let's turn to your neighbor. I hate when people do this, but I'm doing it today. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not getting what I want. Go ahead and do it. Okay, now now do the finger, too. I'm not. It's hard to take yourself serious when you're doing that, isn't it? Isn't it? It's hard to really be honest sometimes, too, because well, the fact is you are not getting what you want. and That's the source of the argument. And James says it comes from a place even of selfishness. I I don't like admitting that. I like it better when it's all their fault, don't you? I mean, really? I mean, I'm okay. It's them. I've got my stuff together. It's them. I I don't make these kind of mistakes. It's them. And I want it to be like that. I want it to be 100% them and nothing me. Hmm. I bet somebody here is thinking, I know somebody who needs to hear this. Anybody thinking that? You know what? You're doing it right now because we do that. We all do it. You know what's funny about marriage problems? I, I, I read this a few years ago, and I've, I've thought about it ever since. Marriage problems aren't really marriage problems. I, I know right away you're saying, wait a minute, what? They're the really single-person problems. It's just that those people got married. Yeah. You bring those problems with you. And we all struggle with this selfishness thing. I don't care if you're a, a child and a grown child. The fact is it's you. And when you get married, it's just two yous that get married. What if I put all marriage problems in a box? Let's say, let's say every marriage has some problems, but what if we put all of them in a box, and then I put the box in front of you, you and your spouse, and I said, I want you to pull out which one of these things is you. Most people would say, here, it's all her. It's all him, Right? I mean, who wants to admit any of that? The problem is, if you were to admit some of it, the temperature of the argument would just go down. It would just go down a notch. And you would actually be able to deal with some things. The problem is, when you admit that some of it's you, you give away some of your leverage. It's like you can't argue as effectively because now I admit it, I'm part of the problem. And it's like you don't have as much ammunition because, yes, it's me too. Nobody wants that. You know what you're doing? You're laying down your right to be right. We all want to be right. We all want to say it's me. I mean her. I mean him. I mean not me. (laughs) When you own it, you've got to actually focus on you. And that's way harder to do. No one wants to do that. It's so easy to pick out the issues in others. It's so much more difficult to pick it out of me. And and I know what you're saying inside. You're like, well, you don't understand. He promised. Or she agreed. Or he was supposed to. Or, Or I'm not getting what I want. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm not getting what I want. But but they, I'm not getting what I want. But it's not fair. I'm not getting what I want. You know when fair ended? Fair ended in the garden. It was fair in the garden, but then it ended, and we took on that selfishness, and now we want what we want. I have a cousin who used to always say, "Yeah, the fair happens once a year in Sedalia. That's it." You know, some of you here, are sitting, you're still arguing with me, and I, I get it. I'm arguing with myself because you feel like you're really justified because the problems are real. And this, this, this solution is, is too simple. I know. I get it. It's a beginning of a solution. James goes on. He says, you, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. How are you going to ask God for it if you're not even going to admit that it's, you're not getting what you want? Because normally when we do go to God with these issues, what are you praying? God, change her. God, change him. God, fix him. God, fix her, right? You ever heard this uh, joke, why, why women change their names when they get married? Because they change, and men don't. You ever noticed that? Pretty much you get what you get. You see the guy, he doesn't change a whole lot. We're not very complex, we're pretty simple. This is kind of how we are. And a lot of times you heard this old classic thing where you know, a woman will marry a guy and then they plan to fix and change these things and then they get frustrated because these things don't change. Well, sorry, we don't change a whole lot. But it's kind of how it goes. Did you ever think though about actually praying to God and asking him to meet the person's needs and to help get them what they want? And to help you get what you want? Did you ever think that selfish motive that James was talking about is actually part of the problem in the marriage or in the relationship or between your mom and dad or you and your mom or you and your dad? Did you ever think that, yeah, we're usually asking them to change. Did you ever think that if you were to ask God to take a look at you that you, he might talk to you about your motives? I don't know if I want him to do that, really. Hmm. He goes, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. What, What would happen if we actually went to God and asked him to give us the right motives? How might that change these issues in our life? Have you asked God to help you with those motives? If before you got into that argument, you actually took a breath and said, yeah, what am I trying to get here? And is it the right thing? What's the right thing here? That can be so humbling, can't it? I know. I know a lot of you won't do it because it's too. It's too. Uh, it, it takes too much vulnerability and too much transparency, and you. You actually have to work on you. So much easier if everybody else would just change, isn't it? I mean, that would life would be so good that way. But that's not how it works. The fact is. He wants to work on you. Now, and, and just so you know, I'm not talking about an abusive situation. Or I'm not talking about things where there's, there's violence and that kind of thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about normal human relationships where there's conflict. Because that's normal. That's real. When you actually work that way, you actually can change what God is doing. I'm wondering, what, what could happen in a relationship if you were to actually try to reduce that pressure and that temperature of the disagreement and the conflict and you would start with you? I mean, what are some things practically that you could literally do to make a change? What if you actually did? I mean, we were goofing around a minute ago, but if you just said it out loud, I'm not getting what I want. And I realize that's part of the problem. What if you both did that? Imagine how that would change things. Hmm. In First, in first Corinthians, our Colossians 3.13, it says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That, that tagline there is all through Scripture. Anybody else a little annoyed by that? I know, I know you're saying, Pastor just said he was annoyed by Scripture. Hey, here's the thing. That tagline is a lot, almost every time forgiveness is mentioned, that tagline is in there. Because a lot of us need that kick or that reminder to say, you were also forgiven, you need to forgive. Because a lot of us, here's what's sad about human nature, forgiveness isn't natural. We don't want to do that. We would rather punish the other person or, or, or we have this kind of unsaid and we don't even know where the level is, but they need to suffer at least this much because I suffered this much before I'm willing to forgive them. And, and when you see that tagline, it's like none of that matters anymore. It's like, you know what? There's no measure that I get to exact of pain in that person because Jesus forgave me completely. And, and because he did, I'm supposed to forgive and in every relationship that you're part of, this is an issue. I don't care if it's, if it's husband wives, uh, your, your parents, your, your kids. It needs to happen. And let me just put a little on the parents. Parents, you need to model what forgiveness looks like even with your children. Do your children mess up? Yeah, they're kids. Do they make mistakes? Yeah. Do, do they do things that they shouldn't do? Yes. Yes, they do. And should they be disciplined? Yes. But then forgiveness is something as an adult and a parent you need to guide them in. Do you know what the two most powerful words in the English language are? Two, I'm sorry. I think three is I love you, but I'm sorry. Who says that? I mean, who really does that? (laughs) Let's keep going here. Uh, Ask for and offer forgiveness. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. One of the things in our relationships that will change so many things is that we actually encourage, that we actually use uh, words to do it, that we say things that make a difference. The last couple of weeks, I've sent you home with some homework. I don't know how many of you remember, but the first week, I asked you to go out and just ask each other, different people, how can I help? Simple, how can I help? Then last week, I encourage you to listen to understand. I'm gonna ask you to do something this week. I'm gonna ask you to do this that before or even as conflict starts, that maybe this will ring in your mind and you will say, at least to yourself, you don't have to say it out loud. I mean, out loud's good, but at least to yourself, what am I not getting that I want? What is it? But it doesn't stop there. The next thing is, I really want you to do is, I want you to genuinely pray. That God would meet the needs of what that person you're in conflict with needs. This may seem weird for you. You may be a high school student here and say, what? Pray for my mom to what? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You would actually pray for your parent to get whatever it is they need. You may be completely grown up and still have ongoing conflict. And you may never even thought once, what is it that they're not getting that they need? And what am I not getting that I need? I want you to shut your eyes with me for a minute. With everybody's eyes closed, I like to do this because it just gives us that sense of, of privacy in a room full of people. Everybody's eyes closed. I'm just going to ask you a couple questions, and I, I would like you to respond. It's not really for me even. I can't see all your hands anyway. It's not about that. It's more about you, you just doing a, a motion and an action that, that ends up showing a response. I'm just curious. How many of you have experienced conflict in your family? Silly question, I know. Every one of those hands. How many, how many of you feel like it would be tough for you to take a little of that responsibility? All right, here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna pray for you right now. I'm gonna pray that prayer over you that I want you to pray for your, for your mom, for your dad, for your husband, for your wife, your brother, your sister, for your child. I'm gonna pray that over you right now. And I'm gonna ask that God would help you to do that and to get what it is that you need. And help start a process of solving conflict. Father, I pray for the people in this room right now. I thank you, God, so much for every one of these families, every one of these people in this room. God, I love that you put us into relationship with one another. And I pray, God, that you would help us to, to solve and start to solve these relationship conflicts. I know that we all have them. And I, I pray, God, that, that you would help each one of these, every one of these people to get what they need in this relationship. God, I pray that you would open up communication. I pray, God, that you would would open up hearts and minds to begin a process of forgiveness with each other. God, I pray that you would make their homes a place where encouraging words are heard all day long. Father, I pray for their homes to be places where there's reconciliation, where, where forgiveness is modeled and received. God, I pray for that in your name. Amen. Amen. Let me just give you a clue about this. This is something that uh, you need to work on and then keep working on because it's not something that happens overnight.